I don't know if you've thought about it, but sometimes I wonder, how does Almighty God speak to us? How does the God of the universe relate to us? How does he get our attention and what kinds of things does he say once he knows we're listening? Sometimes I wonder, why would God want to make contact with us in the first place? You know, he's busy. He's got a lot of other things on his mind than you or me. What is his reason for communicating with us? What is he hoping to accomplish by doing that? You know, what, what's in the heart of God? What's in the motive of God? You know, God has been communicating with man in various ways down through the centuries of human history. You can go way back to the beginning at the Garden of Eden. You have Adam and Eve. And, and it says that God walked with them in the cool of the evening. God had conversation. Imagine, like, we go out to the park with a friend or with our loved one, and we're walking hand in hand through the garden. That's what God did with Adam and Eve. And since that time, God has found numerous ways to talk with us, to communicate his heart to us. Of course, in the Old Testament, we see the prophets. The prophets are God's mouthpieces. God is telling man about himself and his will for mankind. And the Bible itself, we're privileged to carry around, is the word of God. It is a revelation of God. One of the main ways God has made himself known and tells us how he wants us to live. It's divided into a couple testaments, uh, the old, the new, giving us the two testaments, the covenants that God has made with man. One was through the law of Moses. The other one was through the grace of Jesus, his son. Of course, the best and most complete revelation that God has given us of himself, the greatest word God has ever spoken is Jesus himself. You know, here's the full thing. Here's the full picture, the full image the, the, you know, see it all right here in Jesus, we can come to know who God is because Jesus came, almighty God in flesh. Colossians tells us some interesting things. It says that God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ. And then also it says in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And just wrap your mind around that. That may take a few days. Hebrews 1 says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. So through the life of Jesus and through the Word of God, this written Word, we learn how God thinks and acts and why He does what He does. We start to understand the motive and the heart of God. Now we learn that there are laws and principles that govern this world, which we cannot violate without penalty. In fact, sinning against God brings a severe and eternal penalty called death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. We also learn through Jesus, however, that while we all stood condemned because of our sins, God sent His Son into the world to pay the penalty and bring us back to Himself. That's the good news, the gospel. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
through him. That's the heart of God. That's the motive. That's the intent, the purpose of why God is speaking to us in the first place. You see, God wants a personal relationship with every one of us, with every single person born into this world. He created us. He loved us. He wants the very best for us. And I wonder whether you're here in person or you're watching online, do you know that? Do you really know that? That that is God's motive and purpose and intent. Are you convinced that God wants a relationship with you as well as the rest of us? Do you know how much your Heavenly Father loves you? Do you really know? Do you have an idea? You see, God wants each of us to experience an abundance of the good things that he planned for us. But on our side, we have to choose to follow him. We have to choose to obey his commands, or we will never experience the abundant life he has dreamed for us, he desires for us. We keep going our own way, and we get results far less than that. Because we were all given free will at birth. And there are grave consequences to the choices, to our actions. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. Good pair of verses to know and, and to remember because the consequences of our choices are eternal, God is seeking constantly to draw each of us lost sinners back to himself. Every person that sins, which is all of us, is loved deeply by God. And his desire is to bring us back to himself. Even if we're so captive to, to sin that it looks like there's no chance for us, like it's impossible. God says, no, that, that's what I specialize in, the impossible. Now, some people think that God doesn't really care about us. Even if they will acknowledge there is a God who maybe created all this, you know, it's hard to explain this creation without knowing that there was a master designer or a creator behind it, you know, and I, I still can't imagine somebody would say, this just all happened. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. And even if they acknowledge there is a God, a designer, or a creator behind all of this, they have come, become convinced somehow in their own mind that he doesn't really care about us because look at the mess we're in. Look at what's going on in the world. And so they'll say, well, because all of these terrible things are happening, there must not be a God who really cares. Now, there's a God who cares. There's a God who is allowing things to continue down the path that they're continuing because man from the beginning, has had free choice, and these are the results of all those bad choices that we made. So don't believe for a second that God doesn't care for you. God cared enough for you and me that he was willing to die for us. And we have to wrap our minds around that. There's an old English word. It's the word woo, W-O-O. We don't use it very much anymore. But it means to seek the affection of someone or to gain the favor of someone by entreaties, by our kindness. You know, we're trying to gain their favor somehow. And God is wooing us. God is 
courting us in one way. You know, he, he is using various means to, to draw us back, to make us in our minds, in our befuddled, depraved minds, see that God is attractive, that he has something good for us, has something he wants to give us. So he wants us to, to somehow accept his love and mercy in Christ and to turn from our sins and to come home to him. That, that is God's desire. And so God is wooing us. Now, he could have forced us to pay the price for our sins. He could have left us to our own devices. And actually, that's how we got in the mess we're in. All of us would have ended up in hell for eternity. That was a, an absolute fact. That was an absolute certainty that if we were left to our own devices, we would all end up in hell for eternity. But God's love was so great that he made a way back to him through Jesus so that we could be saved and so that we could live with him for eternity. Now, the story of the Israelites and their escape from their bondage in Egypt is an excellent illustration of all of this, of, of what God wants to do in each of our lives. So we're going to spend a little bit of time in the story of the Israelites. We're going to go back to the early pages of the Bible. We're going to look at the passage of the Old Testament that kind of launches us into that story, a story that you may or may not already know. And the main verse that I want to see is Exodus 19.4, which simply says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings, and then get this, brought you to myself. Brought you to myself. Now this verse is the key verse, I think, in a larger passage is Exodus 19. And I'd like to read those first eight verses of chapter 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. Some people call that the wilderness of sin. There's some analogy here. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and fully and keep my command, uh, covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. So picture this, God is calling Moses up to Mount Sinai three months after he and the people had left Egypt. And he wants to remind Moses what he's been up to, what he's been doing, what he has done for them at a moment when they were serving as slaves in Egypt and had been there in that moment for 400 years, by the way. The Israelites had first gone down into Egypt because of a severe famine that gripped the entire world. A few years before that, Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, later called Israel, had been sold into slavery by his brothers who were very self-centered and, and hateful and prideful. 
And Joseph suffered a lot there in the early years that he was there. But then God raised him to a position in Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And when Pharaoh had a dream that a great famine was coming, Joseph had the wisdom from God to save enough food to save the entire nation of Egypt and many more. Joseph's family in Israel ran out of food, just like everyone else. And so his brothers came to Egypt because they heard food could be bought there. It was then that Joseph recognized his brothers and saved his family, the fledgling nation of Israel, from certain death. Even after their father Jacob died sometime later, the Israelites continued living in Egypt, probably because their lives were more comfortable than they'd ever been in the land of Canaan. Eventually, their number increased so much that the new Pharaoh became concerned that they would take over Egypt. So he made them his slaves. The Israelites ended up serving Pharaoh in great bitterness for about 400 years. Can you think about that? Much longer than our country has been in existence. They were slaves in Egypt. The story of God bringing the enslaved Israelites out of Egypt is an amazing story. It was, it was not a simple journey. In fact, it was uh, a very difficult and arduous journey. God called Moses to deliver his people out of Egypt, and he gave Aaron his brother as his spokesman. And God had to do miracle after miracle to finally get Pharaoh to let them go. We call them the ten plagues. And in each of these plagues, if you study them, you'll see how God showed he was far greater than the gods of Egypt. God's making a point, an emphatic point, as he releases, frees his people from bondage. After the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, Pharaoh finally let the Israelites go. That night on the first Passover, the Israelites left Egypt never to return. Within a couple of days, Pharaoh regretted that he had let them go, and he pursued them through the wilderness right up to the edge of the Red Sea. There with the Egyptians in hot pursuit, the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground. Amazing, amazing miracle. God miraculously parted the Red Sea for them, but when the Egyptians tried to follow them, the waters came back together and drowned all of their enemies, and the Israelites were saved. Now, I want you just for a moment kind of capsulize in your mind what's going on here, what God is doing. In the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt, we see, first of all, how much God loved his people even when they had basically forsaken him. We see a few people that are faithful to God. We see a few people holding on to God, but how could they worship? How could they do anything as slaves? All they could do was live, just barely survive. They had become uh, later on so satisfied in Egypt that they, they didn't even try to return to the promised land. So God left them there uh, until they were ultimately desperately in bondage. You know, started out good with Joseph, but soon they were slaves and then they were stuck. In the same way that God loved them, God loves us. Even when we forget him, even when we rebel against him, there is no way to cut off God's love to say, Okay, you're past the point of no return. I no longer love you. He never stops loving us, even if we have stopped loving him. And his desire for a personal relationship with each of us continues, even if we have no idea how much he loves us. You know, we're oblivious. 
We're just living however we want to live and reaping the, the bad consequences of those choices. And God is pouring on his love, hoping for our return. In the story of Israel's exodus, we see secondly how God freed them from their bondage when they could not free themselves. They, they would have been slaves in Egypt forever. But God sent Moses to rescue them and bring them out by great miracles. And in the same way, but to an even greater degree, God sent Jesus to free all of us from our eternal bondage to sin and death and hell. There was no escaping the punishment that we deserved. None of us could say, oh, that's, that's a foul, that, that's unjust. We all deserve the punishment we were going to get, except for the fact that Jesus was willing to pay sin's penalty for us. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus gave his life so that we could go free. Jesus is the ultimate proof of how much God loves us. You just doubt God's love if you, you know, just think there is no love. Where's the evidence of God's love? You don't have to look any further than the cross of Jesus. In the story of Israel's exodus, we see thirdly how God led them by his presence and how he promised them his protection, his provision. You never see God failing the people of Israel as long as they chose to follow him, as long as they chose to serve him. God was right there seeing them through everything. And in the same way, God wants to walk with you and me. He wants us to walk in his presence. He wants us to experience his protection and his provision. And when we trust him to save us, he actually gives us himself, his Holy Spirit, to be with us every day and forever. We live under his protection. We experience his daily provision for every need that we will ever have. But it all begins when we finally realize how much God loves us and we surrender our lives to him. You see, God wants to bring us to himself. He wants to save us and to have a relationship with us, the one that he created us to have with him. And the question of our is simply this, will we accept the new life God is offering us in Jesus? Are we going to just cling to the old life? that we had right up to the bitter end. God did not deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt just so they could enjoy the promised land. You know, we say, wow, look at what they gained, where they could live, the fruits that they could enjoy. No, he freed them from their bondage so that they could come and worship him, so they would know him, so they would love him. He saved them so that they could enjoy intimate fellowship with him, which they had never had in their slavery. As slaves, they had had no freedom to worship God, but now that they were no longer slaves, they had all the freedom in the world to pursue God as he had pursued them. God called the people of Israel primarily to be a people who loved and worshipped him. There were a lot of other things that happened. They became a nation. They defeated the idolatrous nations of Canaan. They settled all the lands that they wanted to conquer. But those were not 
the main things. He wanted them to be a people who loved and worshipped him. And God sets us free. Not just so we can become part of the church. Not so that we can, can have an abundant life here on earth, which many of us are enjoying. Not so that we can have a glorious future in heaven. Not that we could accomplish his mission to save lost people, although all of these are part of his plan, God calls us primarily to be his people, to love him and to worship him. He loves us with a deep and everlasting love, and he wants us to love him return and worship him every day. Apostle Peter reminded the Christians of his day how much God loves us. He reminded them of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and God's constant presence in their lives. He said this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the, uh, the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Through, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an expressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God wants to bring you to himself. God wants to bring all of us to himself. He wants to save us. He wants to have a relationship with us, the relationship he created us to have. The only question is, is that what we want also? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we could spend some time in your word today. I thank you that we could hear again, be reminded of what you are doing in the lives of every person on earth, that you are pursuing, that you are chasing after, that you are wooing every soul that is lost. God, we have felt your presence in our lives. We have heard the footsteps, so to speak. We have known the offer, but often we have resisted. Often we have pushed it away. Often we have, have cried out, leave me alone. But God, you continue to pursue. You continue to chase after each of us because your desire is to know us and to be known by us. Your desire is for us to love you the way you love us and then to worship you forever. God, thank you for loving us that much that Jesus would give his life on our behalf. Thank you for loving us so much that you have not given up on us even when everyone else had. Today, we recognize that love. We praise you for that love and we receive it we accept it, we embrace it, and we return it to you with our own love and worship, even now. 
we pray in Jesus' name.